We are in Genesis chapter 18, and um, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. And what you see with this section of Scripture is something that really starts with verse 1, and really you don't see the completion of this particular section till you get to the, the end of chapter 19, verse, verse 38. And, you know, this is a large section, and but so I'm only covering uh, a, a small part of it. But, you know, God's Word is so rich. There is just so much packed in here. And, you know, t- tell my Sunday school class that that in each section of Scripture, there there is just so much to be unpacked, and and we could we could spend our lives in just a small part of it, uh, and 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 so we're we're going to look at this section today. Let's read through it first. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat by the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. Three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fl- fine flour. Knead it, make cakes. And, and Abram ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. They took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind tent door behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm old and worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Let's pray. Lord, I I just pray that you would be with me. I pray that, Lord, that you would be with everyone here. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes and hearts of our understanding. I pray that, Lord, that you would speak to each person here, and that, Lord, that we might draw closer to you, 
that we might grow in our knowledge of you, and that we might glorify your holy name in all that we say and in all that we do. We say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, when you look at 18 verse 1, here's one of the interesting things. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And, and you know, when I was reading this, you know, beginning to study this, I think, yeah, this, this is kind of familiar. You know, he, uh, it's, it's like Abram's got this thing about some oaks, okay? So, so um, I guess he likes oaks. You know, I guess in the desert, maybe it's a, it's obviously a, a place to get shade and that sort of thing. And so, let's take a look at chapter 13. Now let's look at verse 17. And the Lord is saying to him, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, now here's something else interesting. Let's go to chapter 12. Um, and let's go to verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, um, it's interesting um, to note here that in both these cases, he, you know, he's, he's in, you know, desert lands, but he, he, um, he moves all of his possessions to these places where, <coughs> excuse me, where where um, where he where you have this, these these large oak trees. And one of the things that goes on to say here in, in verse twelve, in chapter twelve here, this is says, so he built an altar to the Lord, an altar to the Lord who appeared to him, and he moved from there to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Now, you notice in chapter 13, one of the things you see is, in verse 18, he moves his tent and he builds an altar. And this is a pattern you see. When he moves his tent, it says he pitches his tent, but he builds his altar. You know what we do all too often? We build our tents. And we pitch our altars. And, and you know, I think that, that Abram is an example for us about having the right priorities. Having that eternal, that Godward focus. But when you get back to, to um, Genesis 18, it says, The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat by the door of his tent 
in the heat of the day. So, at the hottest point of the day, you know, he's already been, he's gotten up, he's already been working, and you know, during the hottest point of the day, you know, he's where he can get some shade, and he's about about to take a siesta, take a little break, you know, he's, he's about to, you know, take a nap here. And it says in verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran to the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now, you know, one of the things is, you know, the Lord, you know, when he pays a visit, he doesn't do so on your schedule or mine. He doesn't send, he doesn't normally send a, 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 you a, a schedule saying, you know, I'm going to show up around this time. You know, I mean, because later on, he, he actually does that. But um, but he shows up when we least expect it. And one of the things that it says here is he lifted up his eyes, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Now, it's interesting that it's not one man. He says it's three men. And it says, when he saw them, when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Now one of the interesting things here is that the word used for bowed is the word shakam. And the way that that's normally translated when the object is God is that he worshipped. He recognized who God was at a distance. And his heart, his mind was ready for worship. And when he sees them, he gets that, he, he runs to them and he bows. Now, now here's, a, here's something else worth noting, okay? Abraham is, he's a wealthy man. He's a great man. He's got over 318 men that work for him. This is, this is a powerful guy. He doesn't bow down to just anybody. But he knows God. And he gives him the proper respect. He shows him the worship that he is due. Here's something else worth noting. Verse 3. He says, And he said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. You know, he wanted to spend time with God. He wanted to spend time. He wanted to draw closer. Do you want to spend more time with the Lord? When you have opportunity, do you spend time with Him? Do you look for those opportunities? He's always there. But are you available? Is your heart ready for Him? Is your mind ready to be with Him? 
He says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under a tree. So, you know, he sees the Lord is traveling here and, and he wants to do service. And, and you know, the thing, one of the things I, I think is when we're with the Lord, we, one of the things that happens is we realize who he is and who we are. If you have the right perspective on things. You know, our God is not some genie that you give commands to. And if you have the right perspective, you don't expect him to serve you. Well, well you want to serve him. And he says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under a tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Now, he says, yeah, you know, Lord, you know, you, you, you get some rest here and I'll bring you a morsel of bread. But is that what he does? Is that what he has in mind? Okay. Verse 6. And Abraham went quickly to the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour. Knead it. Make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and young, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly few things worth noting here. Okay? A sia is roughly two gallons. He's not talking about making a little Peter roll here. Okay? He's making a lot of bread for these guys. Here's something else. He doesn't... Okay... He said, make a, a morsel of bread. Well, obviously, he's doing a lot more than just a morsel of bread. But here's the other thing, okay? He has a feast in mind. And, you know, it'd be a feast if he did a goat. If he did a, a lamb. But no. He's getting a calf. And here's something else. Okay, that's far more than three guys need. You know, one of the other interesting things you see when you look at this? Fine flour. This is this term is also used for, for cereal offerings. Here's something else. This is also what is used to make the bread of presence in the temple, in the tabernacle. Something else worth noting here is that bulls, whether young or older, are what are used for most of the sacrifices. So by use of the finest flour and by use of a young bull, what he's doing is he's making a sacrifice. You know, 
when you understand who our God is, and you understand how dependent you are upon Him, and how faithful He is, you should want to give your very best to Him. Your your money, your time, whatever it is that you have, are you making a sweet sacrifice to Him? That's, that's what we should be striving for, folks. He says in verse 8, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. Now, you know, you know, Abraham, he and his family, they're Bedouins, okay? They move around, and one of the things that they customarily served with bread and with meat was a kind of yogurt. Or, as a lot of your translations will have, curds, okay? But here's the other thing, okay? Abraham is a great man. He's a wealthy man. He's a powerful man. But one of the things it says is that he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He served them and he stood while they ate. He didn't sit with them. He has this heart of service. This heart of worship. And folks, that's how your life and mine should be characterized. By a life of love of the Lord, by a life of service, by a life of sacrifice. Verse 9. They said to him, Where's Sarah your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. Now, you know, um, in, in this culture, one of the things that happened is married women, you know, they're, they're not generally in the presence of men who are visiting. And so she's not right with, she's not with them, okay? And you know, I think that God knows full well where she is. But, he says, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, you know, this is a promise that has been a long time in coming. Okay? Let's go to back to, to Genesis chapter 12. And let's go to verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75! 
And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and their possessions, and all that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan. Now, one of the things that he says a few verses earlier is he says, in verse 2, he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And and you in, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And inherent in this is the idea that he's going to have descendants, that he's going to have children. Well, how many did he have right then? None. So let's take a look now at Genesis chapter 15. Let's look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay? Abram was wealthy but he had no children. And, you know, he was 75 when he entered the land. He wasn't a spring chicken then. But God, once again, gives him a promise. Let's go now to chapter 17. Let's go to verse 16. Verse 15, I'm sorry. And God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become, she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means? Means laughter. You know what? God makes him this promise. You're going to have a son. Now you know, our God is one who specializes in doing the impossible. That's something 
that we all need to keep in mind because one of the things that you see when you look throughout the New Testament is it says that God uses these stories for our instruction. Because the same God who was faithful to them is the same God who will be faithful to you. Let's go back to um, chapter 17. Let's look at verse 19. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, you know, in each case, he gave this promise to Abraham. But when you look at chapter 18, Verse 10, it says, The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. In other words, she was old. But like I said, our God is one who specializes in doing the impossible. And one of the things it says here in verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? When Abraham heard it in in chapter 17, what did he do? He laughed. This time, Sarah hears the promise. And what does she do? She laughs. Because, you know, it seemed impossible. Let's take a look at... Let's take a look at... um, Hebrews chapter 11, because I, I love the way that this, it, 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 it explains what happens here. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. He's referring back to the promise in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. See, our God does the impossible. Verse 13. Genesis 18, verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, Why'd Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Well, you know, the thing is, Hebrews explains that she had faith. But you know, there's always that element of doubt, isn't there? Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now let's take a look at the beginning of verse 14 here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, I think one of the problems that we have today is that a lot of people have, is they have this misconception of who our God is. They've got all these, you know, sort of Sunday school when you were a little kid sort of views of God. But here's the thing. If you are walking with in faith, you grow in your knowledge of who our God is. Um, J.B. Phillips, um, who's a New Testament scholar, um, he wrote this book, and, and this one I would recommend. Um, your God is Too Small. That's the name of it. And, and here's one of the things he says in the four. He says, many men and women today are living often with inner dissatisfaction, without any faith in God at all. This is not because they're particularly wicked or selfish or, as the old-fashioned would say, godless, but because they have not found with their adult minds a God big enough to account for life, big enough to fit in with the new scientific age, 
big enough to command their highest admiration and respect, and consequently, their willing cooperation. It is the purpose of this book to attempt to do two things. First, to expose the inadequate conceptions of God, which still linger unconsciously in many minds, and which prevent our catching a glimpse of the true God. And secondly, to suggest ways in which you can, we can find the real God for ourselves. If it is true that there is someone in charge of the whole mystery of life and death, we can hardly expect to escape a sense of futility and frustration until we begin to see what he is like and what his purposes are. Is your view of God too small? Just how great is our God in your mind? You know, um, one of the things I did was, um, when, I, when I was in seminary, I, I took this uh, Ph.D. seminar in contemporary philosophical theology. And the guy who, who taught this seminar, Doug Blunt, he was my dissertation supervisor. And, uh, and one of the, he, he did his Ph.D. at Notre Dame, which is the number one school in philosophy of religion in the world. You know, Oxford is a distant second. Okay, so I got it, you know, pretty good from him. And one of the things that we... We argue, one of the things that we, we explored was, you know, just what it means when we say that, you know, God is powerful or that God is omnipotent. Do you, you realize that when we say that God is omnipotent, we mean more than that God is maximally powerful? Because what does it mean to say that he's maximally powerful, okay? Um... Yeah, what, I, I think one of the, the official definitions was that, that our God is, has the greatest maximal compostable sets of great making powers. And you know, some of you are saying, Craig, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, it means that God's powers don't contradict each other. Yeah, do you realize that God's omnipotence requires Him to be omniscient? Requires Him that He, He knows everything that is consistent with His nature. Well, for example, He, He, He doesn't know what it's like to sin, because that's contrary to His nature. Okay? So for God to be maximally powerful, for God to be omniscient, you know, for him to be omnipotent, he has to be maximally powerful, he has to be omnipotent. But here, here's something else, he, he also has to be omnipresent. Because, he, here's the thing, what if God has all this knowledge, has all this power, but he's too far away to affect things? So there's no place from which he is physically or temporally distant. And here's something else, for him to be omnipotent. He has to be good. See, because one of the things you find when, when, you, when you, you study, you know, this idea of sin, sin comes from either a lack of power or a lack of knowledge, okay? Now, you know, last week, 
Now, when we had the baby dedication, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I just love, you know, looking at babies because, you know, they, they, you know, they always make me laugh. And, and the, those little guys are so cute last week, especially that little guy clapping, you know. <laughs> well, you know, there was, there was this one little girl, you know, she had a bit of a frown on her face, but she was still cute. But, you know, those little guys, they do wrong because they lack knowledge. And as they grow, well, they sin, but not due to a lack of knowledge. Now, you know, some of you will remember um, what I looked like when I first got here three and a half years ago. You know, I was like 60 pounds heavier. And, you know, um, one of the reasons I was 60 pounds heavier is because I had a lack of power. You know, when I was in Texas, one of my favorite things to eat was bluebell ice cream. And particularly, bluebell pralines and cream. That stuff is like crack cocaine. I would, you know, I would buy some of that stuff and I would put it in my refrigerator. And, you know, I might forget about it for a while, but sooner or later, I would remember it. And, and, and you know what would happen? I'd go to the refrigerator and I'd get myself a bowl of it. And I'd eat that stuff, I'd think, man, that was good. And you know what I'd do? I'd get some more. And you know, you do that long enough, and you're 60 pounds heavier. I did wrong because I had a lack of power. But you know what? Our God has no lack of knowledge. And he has no lack of power. So what that means is, he is truly omnipotent. And his power and his goodness all works for our good. Not only in the here and the now, but for eternity as well. Now, You know, um, when we look at this idea, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, I'll take a look at a few verses. Let's take a look at Psalms chapter 35, verse 10. Um, one of the things it says here is, All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. You know, look, our God is more than powerful enough to take care of the little problems that we have in our our lives. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 
And let's take a look at verse 24. Verse 26, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's take a look at verse 24. Got myself mixed up here. Not the first time that's ever happened, let me tell you. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purpose, so shall it stand that I break the Assyrian in my land and on the mountains trample him underfoot and his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is a purpose that is purpose concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purpose and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back? The answer to that question is no one. What God has proposed, what He has purposed, that He will carry out. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 33. Let's take a look at verse 27 here. Uh-oh, picked the wrong one. Gosh. Oh well, not having the best day here, folks. Is it 32? Thirty-two, verse twenty-seven. Okay. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Once again, the answer to that question is no. Now you know. There's a lot of verses that point to God's power to do what He wants to do. But let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's talk about you and me. Because, you know, you might think, okay, Craig, what we see here is fall fine, well and good. You know, because God made promises to, to Abraham, but He didn't actually make any specific promises to me. And you know, the thing is, the thing we need to remember is we have a God who loves us and a God who's going to take care of us. As I was thinking about this, I, I, I reminded of an old hymn. And some of you will remember this. Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. Beneath His wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day, 
or all the way. He will, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. Through days of toil, when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Now, let's take a look at a few scriptures here. Let's go down to Proverbs chapter 16. And let's look at verse 4. One of the things it says here is this. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Look, you have things in your life that are causing you problems, that are causing you concern, that are causing you worry. Do you think that's by accident? See, we have a God who knows what we need. And He provides for every aspect, both the good things, the bad things. Let's take a look at another verse. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 21. Let's go to verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. You have a boss. You have somebody who's over you, who's causing you difficulty. That person is not beyond God's power to affect. And you know, God has put that person there to help conform you to the image of Christ. Let's go a little farther in chapter 21. Let's go to verses 30 and 31. He says, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to who? Folks, he is ready to intervene for your good. Let's take a look at something else. Let's go to Psalms. And let's go to Psalms 23. Now, you know, there was a time when a lot of people had this memorized. But this, this section is so rich. I, I, I think we need to remind ourselves what he says here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is our shepherd. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. Let's go to John. Gospel of John. Let's go to chapter 10. Truly, truly I say to you, this is verse 1, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. If you belong to him, you're one of his sheep. If you belong to him, you know his voice. If you belong to him, you're going to follow Him. You're going to want to be with Him. You're going to want to serve Him. You're going to love Him. And He is going to take care of you. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of just one more song. Through it all by Andre Crouch. He says, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consultation that my trials come to only make me strong. I've been a lot of places. I've seen millions of faces. But there were times I felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was his own. That's the reason I say, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. 
through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His words. So I thank God for the mountains. And I thank Him for the valleys. And I thank Him for the storms He brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I'd never know that He could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Now folks, if you belong to Him, if you know Him, like Abram, when you see Him, You're ready and you're willing to serve Him. You're ready. You, you want to be with Him. You want to follow Him. And He's going to take care of you. Not only now, but in eternity. But if you don't know Him, If you don't know Him, you're like a ship that's adrift. A ship caught in a storm. And you have nothing to place your hope in. Not now, and not in eternity. If you know Him, glorify Him in your life today. But if you don't know Jesus Christ today, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to respond. Seek Him today while you still can. Now, we, we've got some elders here who are who are godly men who would love to talk to you if you don't know Him. And uh, if you don't know Him, respond today. Because we have a God that nothing is too, soft, too hard for. And He can save you today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I just pray that You'd be with each person here. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who doesn't know You, that Lord, that they would respond today. Lord, guide us. In the same Jesus' name we pray. Amen.